was about to say that we have possibly the greatest thing of all time coming up here. Episode 90 of the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. Welcome back to the show. But then that made me think of pizza. And so we have the second best thing going on, which is the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast, but pizza-less. So if you have some pizza, go get it, and it will make this episode way better. Other than that, you're in for a good time anyway. <laughs> I, I don't know how your mind went on that role, but I approve. I mean, am I wrong? No, pizza, pizza is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, at least we have something good to look forward to. At least I didn't go full BuzzFeed and be like, bacon is mood. <laughs> I had a lot of bacon earlier today, so that's kind of <laughs> fitting. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into this episode. It's going to be a good one. Derek Henry just baptized somebody else. Good. Love it. Some great news to start off the segment there. I love it. <laughs> hey, Derek Henry's baptisms are worth discussing any time. Oh, absolutely. Especially but we did have already... some other we did have some other NFL news to talk about. Crazily enough, we don't have a Bears topic to start us off with. I'm sure we could have found one if we looked hard enough. I didn't want to because there are other things to talk about. <laughs> well, this first one kind of relates to the Bears. Well, only in that Ben hopes Matt Nagy gets fired. But other than that, it's really about head coaching candidates coming up because we have some odds out for who's going to be taking over the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, as we talked about last week, Tug has a great explanation as to why Eric Bieniemy really doesn't make any sense there, even though he's been everyone's head coaching darling for the last like three years in the media. And I think he's a perfect fit for what they have there in, in Las Vegas too. But unfortunately what the NFL has done to try and help get more minority coaches hired has really limited them to seven to eighths of the league and took out the last eighth just based on nobody's going to hire a minority coach from in the division. It's just, I don't see it happening. That's not completely true. They only took out 29 teams because if Andy Reid retires, the Chiefs will absolutely hire Eric Bieniemy as their next head coach. So, it, you know, you, I, I get what you're saying, but also at the same time, let's not forget the Chiefs could still hire a new head coach or any team that has a minority coach on their staff. I mean, when I was saying that, too, I was thinking like, hey, it's possibility for the Chiefs or I didn't even count them at all. So I was considering 29 out of the 31 other teams when I said seven eighths. But, yeah, we're all on the same point here. So the probable real odds on favorite then would be Brian Dable, offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, who is a white guy. But he's also probably the best offensive coordinator in the league right now. <laughs> Who's also from not inside the division. Exactly. Exactly. Also interesting on this list, Joe Brady having as high of odds as he does intrigued me. He was the passing game coordinator at LSU when Joe Burrow was there, really turned him into what he was. Now he's making Sam Darnold look halfway decent in Carolina. 
So I kind of understand it, but that's a meteoric rise for him. Uh, the one that surprises me here the most is actually right under Joe Brady. It's Todd Bowles, uh, whose Tampa Bay defense had a fantastic year last year. Run defense has been fantastic this year, but their pass defense has seriously been lacking. But the reason this surprises me is he's had two stints as a head coach already. Uh, I think one of them was interim finishing up the year at Miami, and then he went to the Jets immediately after. And just like Adam Gase, it, both of those tenures were very unsuccessful. So that one kind of surprises me there. I'll say this too. Kellen Moore being at 7 plus 1,000 and Byron Leftwich being at 14 plus 1,400, those two kind of surprised me being that far down the list. I'll expect Kellen Moore to be at the very least above Lincoln Riley. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why Lincoln Riley would want to leave Oklahoma, but I have this is not complete a complete shock to see him on this list. There's been conversations about him potentially leaving Oklahoma this season uh, or after the season, I should say. And as surprised as I am that those conversations are happening, it makes sense that he would end up on this list while those you know while that's out in the universe. We do have to remember these aren't necessarily odds that they will become the head coach. These are betting odds they'll become the head coach, the Raiders. A little bit different of a thing here, trying to make money off of people. So if you're going to bet on Lincoln Riley, <laughs> feel free to do so. I highly doubt it. You're right, Ben. There's, I don't think there's any way Lincoln Riley actually does that. Same with Matt Campbell, right? Like any of these college guys don't make too much sense for the Raiders. Dabo here. Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney right. was the one I was David hire, Shaw. I say. Come on. And, and why would you go after Doug Peterson? Right. I don't like, I, I get it. I, I wouldn't absolutely hate that as much as some of these other ones, but it's a weird, weird one to see on this list too. Right it, below Byron Leftwich. It seems weird because of how he went out in in Philadelphia but like you said last year Ben when they when they fired him it surprised you because he is a Super Bowl winning coach and he's only what three years at this point removed from it for going into next offseason like it's there uh, although I think the the argument is more and more going towards it was more Frank Reich than it was Doug Peterson which at this point I think is a valid comment to make to that Let's go ahead and move on. We won't know anything about this really until much, much later in the season. It may be Rich Basatia's, I don't know how you pronounce his name still. It may be his I job to lose. Hey, after after how they played this week, uh, yeah, I could see that too. Did want to highlight a couple of quarterbacks here. Um, Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> They're not signed to any roster at the moment, but they're vaccinated. They're ready to go. Anybody just wants to call them up. I know the Seattle Seahawks have actually mentioned that they have been in contact with Cam Newton. Nothing has come of that just yet, but I know he's still around. People are still a little bit interested, even as a backup. I'm sure his starting days are over, though. What do you guys think? Maybe not in Seattle. At least while Russ is out, he might start over Geno Smith. I think Cam Newton fits that offense a little bit better than Geno Smith anyway, as it sits. Um, it's wow, disrespecting it, my guy, Geno. It's it's tough for me to sit here though and and look <laughs> at it and say, hey, these guys definitely deserve a job. Definitely, I mean, they all they deserve a job. 
but hard to say they deserve starting uh, starting roles. The reason I say that is for both of them. The consensus from the NFL executives I've seen, the reports I've seen, have said pretty much all NFL executives see them past their prime and well past their kind of usefulness in playing, or at least for what they did best. Yeah, Cam Newton hasn't had a good season in about two, three years at this point. Um, you know, the, the they could not fire him or release him for not being vaccinated. Uh, and that was kind of put to rest that that was a, a factor in why he was let go from the Patriots earlier this year. But now that he is, you know, nobody's going to be able to say, well, you're not vaccinated and that could affect us. And that's a reason to not employ you. I don't know. I don't understand the law around all that, but hey, he's vaccinated now. I think he does still have a lot to offer, especially as far as mentoring. Uh, but it wouldn't make sense to have him there uh, when Russell Wilson got back. As far as Colin Kaepernick goes, forget everything else. We're talking about a guy that hasn't played football in five years. I don't care that he's working out every day. I don't care that uh, you know he's getting up early, putting in the work. Good for you. Great job staying in shape. But you haven't played football in five years. And I would be as scared of putting you out on the football field as I am for Taylor Lewin, who went down here a few seconds ago and is getting uh, taken off on a stretcher in this uh, Titans-Bills game right now. Dang. Taylor Lewan's actually a fantastic offensive tackle, too. That sucks to see. But I will yep. say the one place I would like to see Colin Kaepernick play is probably the USFL. Bug, you got a scoop on them, don't you? Uh, yes, I do. So, talked about it um, Talked about it last week, and I missed the update before we recorded it on Thursday. So, I'm going to give it to you now. You know, we talked that they would operate in Birmingham, perspective, projected perspective. I don't know. Potentially, they're going to operate solely out of Birmingham this upcoming spring. And... That's going to help them a lot because they got $150 million from Fox, $50 million per year. Staying in one city will help that money go a lot further than it did with the XFL and AAF, who had similar constructs where it was, you know, the league owns all the teams, and that's how the AAF is going to be, or how the USFL is going to be. Taylor Wan just gave the thumbs up coming off the field, by the way. Still on the stretcher. Um, good to see that. He is moving at least some. So, anyway, back to the USFL. Uh, $150, 000, or $150 million is not a lot of money when you look at running a professional football league. It's not. And the XFL and the AAF had major money issues. But a lot of that is because they are spread across the entire country. Obviously, the XFL had to deal with the uh, start of COVID-19, so that didn't help anything either. Barring anything unforeseen, the USFL is going to be able to spread that $150 million, $50 million per year a lot further than those other two leagues were. Hopefully, that will equal success. I know you said it's not a lot, but I'd much rather have $150 million than not. So... <laughs> This TV Absolutely. contract is still a pretty big deal. That's a pretty sweet setup. USFL hasn't been an operational organization in a very long time. So to get and this the, kind of deal off the bat is pretty, pretty huge. The way I look at it, too, is Fox giving them $150 million. 
for three years, right? I would expect all three of those years to be in Birmingham. Birmingham will absolutely have a team if they ever do leave the city and start, you know, putting, you know, the seven other teams back around the country. This is a good place to start, though, because everything is more centralized. You're not paying fees to 10 different stadiums, you know, eight different stadiums in eight different states, eight different cities, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see how it works. Could go on the super cheap and just like get some backyard somewhere. Maybe a state park. Do it. (laughs) Bring backyard football. I'm down. Yes. (laughs) And get Colin Kaepernick in that league. I want to see that for sure. (laughs) Uh, Let's go ahead and jump into some college news, though. Do you want to highlight Texas here? Because Texas sucks. Horns down. You can't say that. That's That's a penalty, probably. Hey, I don't... I don't work for the Big 12. I can say it whenever I want. (laughs) Back-to-back, double-digit blown leads for the first time in 25 years to two teams from Oklahoma. Not a a good time to be a Longhorns fan. That's pretty rough. Hey, at least you're not losing to Texas Tech or something, so that's cool. Um, Also, looking at you, Tennessee, why are you hating on... Why are you hating on your own team there? Well, because they're trash. And that's what they threw on the field, too, was some a bunch of trash. That's and a mustard cool. bottle. And a I, golf I, I, ha- I have to ask, why does the SEC fine Tennessee only $250,000 when they just fine Texas A&M $200,000 for storming the field? There's a big difference here between storming the field at the end of the game and literally stopping play for 15 minutes so that your stadium employees can come and pick up all the trash that your fans just throw in the field. You know I feel why? Like this is a we- you know why? Because just it just means more. means more. It means so much more that Lane Kiffin was ready to take his team off the field and say, fuck it, we're not finishing this game. Which would have been valid, and I respect the hell out of him for that. I also love that as he, you know, he does his post-game interview and he's leaving the stadium with his police escort, and uh, throws his visor up in the stands to a fan. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Probably like <laughs> the group of like seven Tennessee fans that still love the dude. He got him his visor as he was going into the tunnel to get into the visitor's locker room. Power move right there. That is amazing. Hey, speaking of head coaches, uh, why don't we talk about LSU here for a second? Because Coach Orgeron is out. At the end of this season, season. <laughs> um, why they didn't just go ahead and fire him? Because this seems like a, I don't. Why would you want to play for the guy anymore? It's a lame duck head coach, right? And and it they jacks should, up all your recruiting too. Oh yeah, they should and they should have beat Florida by a lot more. And the fact that they were able to pull it out is still kind of amazing because. Right. They, had, they had four interceptions, and it still looked like they were going to lose that game miserably. <laughs> I know. Uh, that's just that's just an Edo LSU football team right now. So, so what that says is, well, a couple of things. First of all, that national championship season was Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, not Ed Orgeron. And 
yeah, Ed Orgeron has a lot of off-the-field issues, too, that LSU's just not talking about. So combine all that together with really bad on-field performance and bringing back Bo Pelini as defensive coordinator, that was a little failed experiment, losing all of your good assistants, not being able to replace them. This is just a bad program now. They're in a bad spot. So what are they really going to do? And nobody knows quite yet. All we know for sure is that Jimbo Fisher has turned them down. And there's some speculation linking Mel Tucker to LSU. But why would he go there? I don't even know why he would leave. He already has a reputation for being a little bit flaky because he left Colorado so soon. That was just because it made way too much financial sense to go to Michigan State. But does it really make any more financial sense to leave Michigan State for LSU? The budget's going to be about the same for assistance there. It really doesn't change anything. So I don't think Mel Tucker's going there either. So then who are you guys projecting for LSU? Kind of like what we did with with USC. There has to be someone, an up-and-coming group of five. Honestly, that's what it's going to be. It has to be an up-and-coming group of five coach here. Maybe. I I will never actually advocate for this, but hey, Troy Calhoun, there's a job open in the SEC. <laughs> you were linked know, to Missouri uh, all those years ago. I know Dave Aranda has basically, there's no mutual interest in coming back. They're saying he's too green at Baylor, which he's having way more success than you are, LSU. So why don't you suck it up and take care of business? Dave Rondo would be great. If somebody was going to get, if somebody was going to get, you know, group of five, somebody's going to get money thrown at them. It's Luke Fickle, right? It's not. There's no way there's any other group of five coach that's going to be more sought after this season. Right, and there's no way he's and leaving. There's no way he's leaving. Not with them going to the Big Twelve in a season and a half. There's no way. He's already got the group of five job locked down, or the Power Five job locked down. Maybe Bill O'Brien makes some sense. That was actually that, going to be the true. next name I said. Right right out of the Nick Saban uh, school for head coaches, yeah. Right. Nick Saban rehabilitation program. Uh, if you're looking for a group of five guy, I guess one that makes sense would be Billy Napier. I don't love that. <laughs> I mean, Louisiana's even having a down year, so LSU might not be too interested anymore uh, lane kiffin maybe <laughs> he might be looking to get back up into the it is a little bit of promotion probably even though it's in the same yeah. division i mean you still got hugh freeze and uh right it's gonna be hard I mean, for the sec to approve hiring hugh freeze again though after the way he got fired out of ole miss I figure you got to have a pretty clean act to be coaching at Liberty, though. You'd think, but Liberty's what a, doing some weird stuff. What about Charlie Strong? <laughs> I know he hasn't done much at USF, but it's a name that can build a defense. Isn't supposedly. he? Uh, isn't he one of the members of the Nick Saban rehabilitation program right now? It, is he now? I don't. I don't know. I last I know he was at USF. I know he failed when he was at FSU. Not too long before he ended up at USF. Oh, he's linebackers coach for the Jaguars right now. So that's not <laughs> happening. You're right. Could. I mean, I guess it could, but also his name has been tainted so much anymore with yeah. not just being on the Jaguars, but with, 
<laughs> with with his performance USF at Texas, yeah. I mean, James Franklin, it, no, it makes it, way more sense for USC. Yeah. Like I said, it would be really interesting to see a powerhouse uh, SEC team go to the triple option. Uh, I, I said it. It's out there. It's in the media now. It must be real. <laughs> must be. The one that makes the most sense to me is probably Bill O'Brien, but I don't like that, and LSU is going to be in a bad spot, probably. Unless Fact. they just go f- so far out the, outside the box that nobody could have predicted it. That sometimes Troy works. Calhoun, I'm telling Dude, you. Dude, it's not going to happen. Stop it. <laughs> I've never seen somebody want to get rid of the winningest coach in his team's history so bad. I think technically we have talked about this before. I think technically he's the second winningest coach in Air Force history. <laughs> Doesn't help this is Doug's a, case. This is a but... hatred that's been building for like five years, so it's going to be hard to get over. Even if he goes 11-1 and one this season. Even though he just racked up his second ever win at Boise, I don't care. If he wins you the Mountain West, takes you to I, a New Year's Six Bowl and wins it. I will begrudgingly be happy with the season. Dear Lord, you need therapy. Um, let's talk about the other head coaching job that's now open. Seemed like a perfect hire at the time when Washington State got their former quarterback, Nick Rolovich. He got fired today because he refuses to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Washington's state rules uh, for public employees mean that that's a fireable offense, not getting that vaccine. This Um, could be very interesting for well beyond just college football because of the fallout it can have because it's a public employee being fired for not taking a mandatory vaccine (laughs) so that this has potential implications way down the line. And it wasn't just Nick Rolovich himself. There were a bunch of assistant coaches who also didn't take the COVID-19 vaccine. So they are down basically half of their entire coaching staff as of today. And Washington state was having a pretty good season so far too. So this is a, just a terrible situation to be in. There's no real speculation on who's going to come in and fill that role just yet. I mean, it just happened this morning and it's kind of blindsided a lot of people. So everyone was kind of assuming that he would get the religious exemption approved, whatever his case was. He seemed pretty confident in it. It didn't get approved. So this is, this is a bad one. For Washington State. I think this is a great time to just go ahead and say it. Let's go, Brandon. Okay, what is this actually from? I am so lost on this. Um, we'll tell you when we're done recording. Yeah, we'll tell you later. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> So we've got a we've got one other really big story uh, before we get into uh, the trench ratings. But to bring the mood up a little bit after having to talk about Nick Rolovich losing his job for not getting a vaccination, Greg Long, player for the uh, Purdue Boilermakers, beer gets thrown onto the field. Greg Long sees it and says, "Hey, 
I'm going to chug it right now. In the middle of beating the shit out of number two, Iowa, Greg Wonk's chugging a beer through his face mask. Beautiful image. And with that, this, this is story, These are the reasons I love college football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this next story is uh, a little bit of a, a shift from what we talked about the last time we talked about Conference USA. Because this is potentially the demise of Conference USA. Per Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, about half of Conference USA is going to be applying to join the American Athletic Conference. Potentially by the time you're hearing this podcast, maybe later in the week. Those teams are FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, and UAB. They'll all be expected to be admitted to the conference. Bring them up to 14 football members and 14 non-football members. Of course, Navy only plays football, and Wichita State takes their place and everything else. I got to say, as obviously an American Athletic Conference fan and a Memphis fan first, love seeing UAB on this list, getting the Battle of the Bones back. We talked about it earlier. I wish Mississippi State could get uh, – or not Mississippi State. Whew, that'd be interesting. I wish, <laughs> sure would. I wish Southern Miss could find a way to get back in, but – we kind of noticed just from looking at this a little bit, all these teams, all these schools have money to be able to buy their way into the American Athletic Conference. And I am now once again upset and disappointed in Brett Favre for not wanting to throw a little money to his alma mater and help them get into a better football conference. Well, I don't wouldn't blame Brett Favre too much. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that they would need. So <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> it's flown to shit on Brent Favre though I understand anyway <laughs> yeah so FAU Charlotte North Texas UTSA Rice UAB that's a very kind of eclectic mix of teams it does solidify their position in Texas though for sure gets them back into Florida Charlotte is a newcomer really to FBS football in general but that's a good regional match with East Carolina and Memphis honestly and then UAB, that classic rivalry, probably one of the best teams you could possibly imagine bringing into the American right now. I would rather have UAB than Air Force Colorado State, honestly, as far as you know, regional alliances and as far as good football programs. So it makes a ton of sense for them. The other teams, like right, like you said, they have enough money to join. This is, as far as the public grant we're talking about over $200 million and rice as a private school. They have plenty of money to work with too. It's a little bit off the books. So <laughs> as far as we know, they have seemed to have less money, but it's rice. We're talking about, they're going to have money. The one that intrigues me the most is probably Charlotte though, just because they are so new. This season was the first time that they won a game against a power five school. And didn't they just come up to FBS no more than five or six years ago? They started playing football in general in 2013. So this has been just a meteoric rise to actually a pretty good conference here now. To be fair, I'm pretty sure Coastal Carolina did the same thing too. Like it was oh, yeah. 2010. I think you're right. Because we were looking at it. I remember being in high school and like, I mean, I can go to a school that literally is on a plateau that leads to the fucking ocean and potentially play football because they've only had a program for like four years. 
<laughs> and now we've already had Mormons versus mullets. <laughs> Just how successful these teams have been is incredible. What I want to talk about other than the American, though, is how badly this screws over Conference USA. Because, man, this is all of their good teams. And then some. I am, I am enjoying how we keep kicking the can of the conference that is falling apart to a weaker and weaker conference. Like <laughs> every two weeks, it's it's a new conference that's on the edge of of falling off a cliff. I'll say this though: if there's any conference that would be able to recover from something like this, it's Conference USA, right? Let, you know, let's through it a couple times already. It, yeah, uh, <laughs> they were the one to most recently go through it when the American was formed, right? Right. So, man, I I just don't know that New Mexico State would be a great addition to help them do it. Liberty absolutely would. I know we've got them on here. I don't know what – there's not very many independents. So what conference are you going to convince? Right. You know, what, what conference members are you going to convince that Conference USA is that much better? I don't think you, you're going to get anybody coming in from the Sun Belt. Just because there's already some bad blood even between the conferences, Army's not going to join Conference USA. It leaves you with UMass, UConn, U- Liberty, yeah. New Mexico State as the and independents are really picking from. UConn's trying to go back to FCS, so they're out. And they absolutely will with basketball. New Mexico State is probably, at this point, considering rejoining the WAC for football which as of this season has football again at the FCS level. So that's they they're in the whack for everything else. It would make a lot of sense for them to join the whack with for football. UMass then would be the only other real contender to join the CUSA out of the independence pool. They already have their schedule slated through like 2028 like completely filled filled out. They already also turned down an offer to be full members of the Mid-American Conference. Why would they turn down the MAC to join CUSA? The MAC's probably a better fit. So yeah, Just geographically, it's a better fit. Right. It, if, CS, if CUSA is going to survive, they're going to need to convince somebody to come up from the FCS. Or, I hate to say it, but this might actually be the best move for them at this point, is to... Kind of what the WAC did, man. They haven't hosted uh, or sponsored college football since, what, 2008? Sometime around there? When the WAC basically fell apart, everyone joined the Mountain West because it sprang up out of the WAC. Right. Now they've built all of their other sports up, and now they're coming back as an FCS conference. That actually might make a lot of sense for Conference USA here. Um, the, Mm. The tough part is... The tough part is the WAC sponsors a bunch of coastal-type sports like water polo and things like that that they've been able to maintain, and that's how they've been building. I don't know if Conference USA can follow that same mold because of the locations of the schools. CUSA has some killer soccer. Other than that, (laughs) not much going on. Let's be real. And 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 geographically, like – it doesn't work. And I, right. I think if you're looking at teams to come up, JMU would make sense. They would also make sense in the Mac. The Mac's going to be more appealing to them if they want to extend that invite. I don't know. JMU probably makes more sense geographically for CUSA. Uh, 
They were. Yeah, but at this place. the max all the way across into Illinois. I mean, but but at this point, why would JMU join CUSA? CUSA when I can guarantee you they're probably going to get an invite with Liberty to the American, depending on some of these other ones. Nothing's going to stop the American from growing past fourteen. That's just their solid base. If I'm JMU and the American invites me, I, I'm not going to CUSA. I highly doubt the American is going to be trying to look like the kind of conference that brings up FCS schools. Not at, it, not at this point. Right. They, they're they still trying to establish themselves as the best group of five. Yeah. I don't know that this slate of teams here even accomplishes that. I think this puts them more basically dead even with the Mountain West and the Sun Belt. There's no way you bring up JMU, Villanova, Richmond, and still call yourself the best group of five conference. That's a that's a feeder league now, which is what the CUSA probably is at this point. Yeah, Let's yeah that's real. fair. But yep, again, fair. I think that slate of teams that I just mentioned, Villanova, JMU, Richmond, would make a ton of sense to go ahead and bring those guys up. That might be and, the only way Conference USA survives. Right. Right. The the question I have though is you're going to have a bunch of teams that are going to be left being independents, or it's going to become a group of four thing, and they're going to have to squeak in somewhere. And that's again coming back to Southern Miss. I don't know another conference that makes sense for them if Conference USA dissolves. I mean the Sun Belt geographically, I guess, but yep, it doesn't feel right. I know what you mean. Yeah. If, if they're not going to, and that's that's the other thing, though, if they can't get into the American, I don't see how they'd be able to get into the Sun Belt. Right. It's a definitely mess. not getting into the Mountain West, so. <laughs> this, this, uh, this conference realignment this time is an absolute mess. Well, and it's only going to be worse. Yeah, yeah. well. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. They've got worse rest than the SEC. They need to die. Let's go ahead and talk about our last bit of college news, our Monday recording session tradition here. I know you hear these episodes on Wednesday, but it's Monday for us, which means I have to pump out these trench ratings really quickly. (laughs) But I enjoy it, so it's all right, and I like talking about it. So we have our top 10 here. Again, the top 10 is always going to be free. If you want to see the entire 130 FBS teams in the country ranked in order, you can do that by signing up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash bdtfootball. You'll also get a bunch of other ratings on there as well. Uh, conference rankings, offense and defensive ratings, strength of schedule ratings, as calculated by our proprietary BDT formulas. But let's talk about the top 10 here. Because number one, I think everybody knows what to expect at this point. Number one, it's going to be Georgia. They have been just dominant every facet of the game. That is pretty clearly noted in our trench ratings as well. The way the scale works on this, it's really a 100-point cap, and anything below that is possible. So we definitely have teams that hit the negative from time to time. (laughs) Um, UConn, looking at you. But Georgia, number one team, is always going to be at rating of 100. 
the number one team in the country is always 100 on the trench rating scale. So Georgia's at 100. There's a huge gap between them and number two. And we don't see this kind of gap again pretty much anywhere in the entire trench rating system. Between three and four, there's another pretty big gap. But let's go ahead and get into number two and number three then. Number two, the team up north. Number three, Cincinnati. Cincinnati drops a spot, even though they had a dominant performance against UCF. So the next decimal has to be wrong. Otherwise, we've got a tie at two, right? No, it's it's like 90.71, whatever, 90.69. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, because I saw it. They're both at 90.7. So right. even, I'm just going to ask the same thing. Right. Even with Cincinnati playing that great game against UCF. And the team at North was not on enough. bye. It's just the way that defense kind of – they let UCF score one or two many times there at the end of the game. It really hurt that defensive rating because UCF is not a good team this year. Needed to see them win by a bit more. And I know that sounds harsh, but and they really did blow them out at the same time. The other thing with this, too, even though Michigan was on a bye, their score can increase because their strength of schedule might have increased as well. Exactly. Just if some of their opponent, more of their opponents had won last week than lost, then their strength of schedule is going to increase, which should drive that change. <laughs> And I will say the Big Ten overall is a very strong conference, according to the BDT trench ratings. So it's certainly helping them there. Number four, again, a big gap between three and four of about eight points this time. But number four is Oklahoma State. Well above Oklahoma. Right now, Oklahoma State's looking like by far the best team of the Big 12, which is a little bit surprising to me considering how far they fell behind Texas, but Oklahoma did that too. Right. So I still have a lot of faith in Texas as well. Even as a three loss team, they seem like a pretty solid three loss team. You were calling Texas the best two loss team of the nation. And I immediately said, they're going to be the best three loss team of the nation before the day's (laughs) over. (laughs) And you were right, man, that defense needs some work, but that offense is actually, I was going to give you away where it was rated. But, uh, Fun to watch. If you want to see where that text offense is rated, you have to subscribe to our Patreon. Anyway, number five is Ohio State, which I know they were on a bye week this week as well. It sounds crazy. Ohio State is a very good team as of late. They've been playing extremely well. That lost Oregon is probably the only thing keeping them out of number two, and it probably would be a very tight race uh, with with Georgia for that number one ranking at this point. The way Ohio State's been playing has been very dominant, which puts them above Iowa at number six. Even though Iowa lost, they've been very good to this point, and one slump offensive performance wasn't really going to hurt the team that offense wasn't that big of a deal to them anyway so interesting to see them still rated so highly though number I mean, seven alabama only fell what four spots after losing to an unranked two loss texas a&m i have no problem with iowa only falling this you know three spots in our rankings to three loss purdue 
unranked Purdue. So two loss Purdue. They were it was two losses. They're four and two, and they're number twenty five in the AP poll now. There you go. Alabama, by the way, is not in the top ten of these BDT trench ratings, but number seven is Wake Forest, who's still undefeated. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why they're undefeated. <laughs> they didn't ask my permission. <laughs> number eight is Oklahoma, who is still undefeated as well. But man, they just don't look like the Oklahoma we expected. Caleb Williams, though, certainly looks better than Spencer Rattler right now, which is wild. Man, that's got to be a fun locker room to be in right now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. And we do round out the top 10 with a couple of big 10 teams, Penn state at number nine, number 10, Michigan state. Both of them are playing pretty well. They jump up over Kentucky who falls out of the top 10, of course, losing to Georgia the way that they did, Though they put up more of a fight than Arkansas did. Give them that. They at least found some points in that game, which considering Georgia's defense, not bad. I mean, Not it wasn't at all. good. It wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> so that's our BDT trench ratings, top 10. I kind of like it. I think it's in a pretty good spot. Some big matchups this week in our top 10. Um, I mean, basically the Big Ten's back in action. And... Did the entire conference basically have a buy outside of Purdue and Iowa and Michigan State? <clears throat> That's what it felt like. So, what's been a boring weekend for you? Um, I found other ways to be entertained. Hey, say I drank a lot of craft beers and ate way too many cookies when I was drunk. Sounds like a party. It was, but it was just me and my dad, so it was even better. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But that's it for the news. That was one hell of a news segment. I said we get some college reviews because we had some killer games to watch, or in Bugs' case, Bugs' case, like a terrible game to watch. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. But I wasn't either because I said, you know, Mississippi State has to keep this one close to have a shot, which – Sounds like the most obvious comment of the century, right? It was. It, but it, it was, was also right, so was, I'll give you that. Yeah, I mean, and, and here's the thing. If they could have turned a few of their drives into touchdowns, maybe that changes the game. But the fact that they only came away with nine points in this one, kicking a field goal, you know, obviously kicking three field goals here, that's what really hurt them. I got to tip my hat to uh, Rodgers third though. He was obviously playing through a lot of pain, and he did give the Bulldogs a shot at times to get this thing done. Bama's defense was stifling, and it even it only got better as the game went on. And then Bryce Young, man. I mean, what what else can you really say about the kid? Did you just say Bulldogs? <laughs> yes, he did. And he also said if Mississippi State scored more points, it would have made a difference. <laughs> like, yeah, clearly. <laughs> You, you stuff. You slurred a D, which is the most 
interesting thing I've ever heard. He's turning and into Ed Orgeron. It. He's applying for LSU head coaching positions. <laughs> he might just oh, get it. Me. Uh, no, hey, man, no, we got to play them bulldogs. <laughs> you're entirely right. And, and Bryce Young does look like the real deal. I'm just – I'm significantly more cautious now about evaluating true freshman quarterbacks because Bo Nix looked really good his freshman year some games. Tua looked fantastic in some of the games with some of the throws he was making in his freshman year and his first full season starting. I'm just going to be cautious now and see how they develop the rest of the way. But I, I do think you're honest on that. I do think he's going to be a future top pick. I mean, he's quarterback for Alabama. Any more that means first round success. So good luck to Bryce Young. He's going to get picked on the first round. Doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Well, yeah, true. I, I phrased it poorly, but that, yeah, that's what I meant. Yes, he'll get picked. In but, the it, but there's a good chance if you draft in the first round, you become the MVP. That's only happened once. <laughs> it's, it's only been around for one. <laughs> My game was also a, uh, just a shit show. Uh, NC State decimated Boston College. I will say a big part of that has got to come down to Phil Yurkovich. If he was in this game, it would have made a whole world of difference. Because when you become a one-dimensional offense, you suffer, right? And that's been Boston College really the last couple of weeks here. I thought they looked like a legitimate contender in the ACC when they were all whole and together and playing, you know, as a complete unit. Without that quarterback, man, they are not the same team. They have a what, like a fifth-year senior backup, and he doesn't look any part of it. Man, he looks bad. So, NC State wins this one. That sucks for Boston College. My game was a game for a half. Hey, that's better than either of ours. So, I had uh, formerly formerly BDT number six, University of Kentucky, at BDT number one, Georgia. And honestly, it was a good game at the beginning of the game. They went to halftime 14-7. to It looked like Kentucky had a chance. Yeah, couple more the bounces first go there. was still 0-0, wasn't it? So. Yeah. A couple more bounces go their way, and all of a sudden Kentucky's winning this game going into half, and that could mean a whole different story because I don't think Georgia has trailed at half once this year. So you, that might be the key to success is to get Georgia down because they haven't played from behind yet. Um. But George is just too much right now, man. I, I do not see who can stop them at this point. Their defense is way too overpowered. I'm starting to hear some Heisman hype for one of their defensive tackles. Um, and that is insane to think that a defensive tackle, they don't make a bunch of the flashy plays. Yeah, they get sacks. But when you are standing out like that on the best defensive unit in college football, on the interior of your defensive line, that speaks wonders for what you're doing out there and man georgia is blowing up every offensive line i watch them play against almost every play this just this isn't fair right now i do have to say the right side of kentucky's line held up very well the left side crumbled like a i don't even know a good comparison it was like comparing a brick wall to a stack of cups or something i mean it was just a world of difference on that right side of the line, which is where you find 
to draft prospects on that Kentucky offensive line, too. So it does make sense. Just, wow, what a difference that was. When I was watching that game, I couldn't help but notice. I can't help but you know wonder how Kentucky's coaches didn't notice that, too. Why did you not run to the right side more often? Dear Lord. And the uh, defensive tackle I'm thinking of, I had to look up his name. Jordan Davis is a name to watch out for here moving forward. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump into our picks. Um, we didn't pick all that great of games, but we did predict them relatively well. At least I did. I went through, you know, I don't know about y'all. I went to how one. it is. You only care about yourself. Well, I care about myself this week in particular because it means that I took the lead. I'm now up, you know, 15 to 7. Technically, that's first place because Tug's at 15 and 8. So, love it. I I half went with hate picks, and I got what I deserved, so. Fair. Hey, at least you got Georgia, right? You didn't pick against the best team in the country. I did not pick against Georgia. I'm not that foolish. <laughs> you did pick against Bama, though, which is bold strategy. <laughs> Almost that. just as foolish. I would have laughed all the way. I would have laughed for hours <laughs> if I'd have pulled that one out, though. Dude, if you would have pulled that out, I would have been so happy. I wouldn't have cared. I was going to say, we would have been laughing with you. Right. But, you know, didn't happen. It is what it is. Let's go ahead and talk about some bonus games, because this week really was full of some great games. I know Ohio State wasn't playing. That didn't mean there weren't any other good games worth watching. Uh, let's talk about Oklahoma State-Texas, which we have talked about quite a bit already, actually. Oklahoma State came back in a huge way. They were down by a lot. It seems like it was 21 points at one point. I mean, Texas only scored 24, but Oklahoma State's defense shut them down at the end of the game. And, man, I feel way better about calling out those safeties at the beginning of the year <laughs> because they both played incredible that whole fourth quarter. Just a sight to see some actual defense in the Big 12. That was beautiful, even if it was just 15 minutes. Auburn over Arkansas. This one was very surprising to me. I was hoping to see Arkansas rebound a bit, but Auburn putting some things together here. Maybe the Iron Bowl is going to be really good this year. Probably not. Maybe it will be, like, really interesting this year. The, the Iron Bowl is always an interesting game. You you never know how to predict that one. Very fair. Yeah, I think at the very least we can say it'll be interesting. I think that's that's a fair assessment. Baylor beating BYU surprised me even more, though. Baylor's having an incredible season. I do not understand why LSU will not consider bringing back Dave Aranda. That dude is having one hell of a year in Baylor. And Kenny Pickett's looking like a Heisman contender at Pitt, which sounds crazy because it's Pitt, but also they beat Virginia Tech very handily. Never looked like a struggle for them. Same way Purdue beat up on number two Iowa. Never looked like a struggle for them either. Just unreal, 24-7. to over what was supposed to be the number two team in the country. And th this is what happens. Like every other year, Purdue is just mediocre enough to stumble through the season, probably getting bowl eligible. And then they play lights out one game pretty much every other year. 
This is what Purdue does. I'm getting tired of it. They have been doing this for like a decade. Please stop. Ohio State that was on the other side of the perfect game. Generally, it's against Ohio State. I mean, that happened one time, guys. Okay, relax. I said at least it wasn't them this time. Yeah, and Tug said generally. Like, come on. Generally, Boise State beats up on Air Force, too. It didn't happen You're this time. You're right. So, that's good. You're right. <laughs> I, th- I thought Boise State had a chance there at the end. They kick the onside kick. They get it. So, Hank uh, Hank Bachmeyer comes out and makes sure to throw the interception to uh, steal, uh, to seal the game. And I was, I was stoked in that moment. I'm sure you were. That was pretty incredible. I, I was hoping Air Force was going to win that, really, just because I'm – so done with that blue field but i expected boise state to probably win just based on historical precedent when did the ncaa allow them to start wearing blue uniforms on the blue field again i thought that wasn't allowed i know we've said we that brought like, this up last week too i think yeah yeah like i think they were allowed to wear blue uniforms but they had to have a different color helmet but now they're wearing their full blues again and it's it really does mess with you on like from at least from the camera angles well, I mean, we'll throw I'll throw this one out here too. The NCAA used to not allow team colored gloves. I think you had to wear gray gloves. So, I mean, I I don't really care that they've gone right. backwards, if you want to say that, uh, as far as uh, allowing Boise to wear blue on the Smurf turf. But it is it is interesting. They used to prevent players from getting paid for their name, image, and likeness too. And now look where we're at. They used to do a lot of things that they don't anymore. Isn't that <laughs> crazy how that works? Had some great FCS games this weekend as well. North Dakota going into Southern Illinois, and SIU wins it on a block kick. I I wish I could say I watched this week. I did not. I kind of forgot this game was going on with some other stuff going on at home. But uh, I, when I saw the end result... Actually, I was working. That's what it was. When I got out, saw the end result and saw the picture of the kit, you know, I saw that they won. I was like, okay, cool. Went along with my day. Check back on Twitter later in the day or on Sunday, and there's a picture of the final play of the game. And I, I was like, damn, that's one way to win. They almost went to overtime for two straight weeks against ranked teams from a Dakota, but not the case this week. Love to see it. That would have been their third straight week going to overtime, too, wouldn't it? I think it would just been the second. Okay. Either way, SIU's in some close ones. Somehow, usually coming out on top. Good for them. South Dakota went into northern Iowa this week, came out with a win. A little bit of an upset there, according to the rankings. But, man, it's, it feels like anytime two Missouri Valley Conference teams get together, something crazy is going to happen. So... I'm actually not all that surprised, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, Chattanooga, Chattanooga beating up on East Tennessee State was a bit surprising to me, though. Chattanooga played a great game against Kentucky, played it very close, couldn't get the job done. ETSU has been the better team in FCS play so far this season. Certainly looked like going into this game, it wasn't going to be all that close. Chattanooga pulled it out. Good for them. I don't know what else to say about it. It's pretty wild. Same with Sacramento State beating 
number five, Montana. I mean, goodness, Montana was supposed to be pretty legit this year, especially after going and beating Washington at Washington. Rhode Island also lost this week at Towson. Number 12, Rhode Island, not anymore. This There's a cool little story with this game, too, because the charter flight for Rhode Island to get down to Baltimore for this game got uh, canceled because the airline didn't have any air crew, um, any air crew available. So the coach put out a shot in the dark to Rob Kraft saying, hey, man, can you help us out? We have the money for it. And Rob Kraft goes, hey, you can use uh, my Pat's plane. Uh, it's on me. So cool little story there. Unfortunately, the Rams couldn't pull it out. Um, and they got their butts whooped down in uh, <laughs> down against Townsend. Just unreal. Didn't expect that one either. But, you know, that's what the FCS does to you. Gives you some head scratchers. Gives you some good times at the same time. So worth it. If you haven't checked out an FCS game at this point, you need to. Because, man, we talk about them every week. And it's always fun. As the players to watch, I had one from the FCS. So I'm going to start us off because Cole Kelly, oh my goodness, he's legit. All right. This Walter Payton Award this year is going to come down to either him or Eric Barrier out of Eastern Washington. Both of them are putting up incredible numbers. Is Cole Kelly bigger? So, which style do you like more? Eric Barrier is like 6'1, runs around a little bit. Cole Kelly, if he's running, he is like looking to kill somebody i guess he's like looking to run people over very different style quarterbacking (laughs) but cole kelly is accurate 82 percent completions this weekend almost 400 yards five touchdowns just unbelievable i don't know why nobody's talking about him as like a draftable prospect i would just love to see him on the nfl field handing the ball off to Derrick Henry. I would legitimately love to see him and Derrick Henry share a backfield. The only quarterback who can dwarf Derrick Henry. <laughs> one like of the Big only Ben's taller, skill players. Cole Kelly's like bigger. Yeah, one of the only skill players that could dwarf Derrick Henry. Right. I'll jump in here. Uh, Nick Benito had kind of an average game. Five total tackles, two solo, no sacks. Man, he does not look like the preseason All-American that he was. Um, He's been struggling all season. And honestly, I think he's part of the heart and soul of this Oklahoma defense that we all thought was going to be significantly better this year. If he's going to continue to struggle, I think OU's defense is going to continue to struggle. And man, I cannot see them going undefeated, especially against teams like uh, Oklahoma State and even Baylor on the schedule still. Um those are going to be some tough games for them moving forward if their defense can't figure it out. My pick was KJ Jefferson. And part of the reason was this was going to be a big game for Arkansas. And I just didn't want to take the Arkansas game. <laughs> so I wanted to take KJ Jefferson because he really opened my eyes to just how much of an athlete and leader he is for this Arkansas team. 21 to 35, 228 yards, two touchdowns, three sacks, rushed rush for 66 yards on 18 carries, had a fumble. But, man, as a sophomore, 
I was a little worried where this team was going to be losing Felipe Franks last after last season. Between him and Sam Pittman, this team is going to be just fine moving forward, at least for the next two years, if not further. And I think that's all we got for college. You guys have anything else to add? Nope. I don't think I do. Let's go ahead and jump to the NFL. In addition to college, we also had some NFL games. Isn't that crazy how that works? It seems like it's the same way it works every week. Kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know why I'm being weird about this. We got some NFL games to review. I think, Tug, you want to start us off? Yeah, so I I had a blackout Sunday from football. I was upset for one of the games that we're uh, probably going to highlight here later. Uh, it still irritates me uh, about that game. So I really, being completely upfront and honest, didn't really see a whole lot of the Bengals at Lions. Here's what I know. The Bengals went into Detroit. They handled their business thoroughly. They kicked the absolute living poop out of Detroit. Uh, and Jamar Chase is once again all over the field. Uh catching passes, scoring touchdowns, and then running downfield stride for stride with Joe Mixon and making a block to ensure he gets into the end zone. Uh, Jamar Chase is lighting it up more than I thought he would in his first year, and it's looking like he was worth uh, where they drafted him at this point. Even if it means Joe Burrow has to get a throat contusion every now and then. (laughs) Wild. My game is the reason you were pissed off. It was Miami versus Jacksonville in London. Jacksonville won 23-20. And I haven't watched Jacksonville play all year, and I haven't watched a full Miami game all year until this week. I really see what the issue for both of these teams are. Yes, Tua Tagovailoa had a great game, but he did not have a great game all game. Yeah, some very bad drives, some very bad passes. Can, all things considered, coming off a rib injury, he had a fantastic game. However, Jacksonville was able to get a few things going between the run, uh, Trevor Lawrence looking competent, and a uh, bend it like Beckham field goal that looked like Urban Meyer was going to die on the sidelines while watching. Man, that wasn't the game-winning field goal. That was just to tie it late. But Jacksonville, you know, that game-winning field goal, that was never in doubt. That was never in doubt. And I know it hurts to talk about it. I know you're still pissed off about this game. But Jaguars got their first win. And I got to say, it was really honestly looked like two evenly matched teams, which probably twists the knife a little bit more for you. But I, I don't know how I can walk away from that one saying anything but that. So I do have two things to add. One you didn't mention the absolute first good coaching move I've seen by Urban Meyer to run a quick play, get the first down, get his kicker in a spot to make that field goal, and then calling the quick timeout with one second left. That was an all-time oh, great gosh. coaching move. I know. There was that, like three seconds on the clock. They had a first down and a timeout. In. Yeah. It was unreal. Yeah, so so that that's worth noting. And then the only thing to say is you're right. In Miami's current state, they do look evenly matched. That being said, Going into this game, Miami had $50 million of their salary cap not dressed and not playing. Uh, Xavier Howard was out. Devontae Parker was out. Byron Jones was out. Will Fuller was out. That's 50 mil right there in cap space. Not playing in this game. Half your weapons on offense and your two elite edge defenders 
uh, or edge uh, cornerbacks. That definitely hurts in this situation, especially since even I have called Noah Igbenogany a bust at this point. And for a guy who really didn't want to talk about the game, you have talked about it more than I it imagine upsets you would, me, but so. I, It upsets me, but I can still analyze it and get some additional points out there. What Ben said is not wrong. They do look pretty even. It just, Again, that it, sucks. Yeah, it, it's tough, man. <laughs> uh, and, and this week, it, it might even be worse because Jerome Baker might not play, and who knows when we're getting the rest of them back. So it's it's a tough situation for Miami right now. And I think a lot of people are actually overlooking all the injuries Miami is fighting through in some important positions. Let's go ahead and move on here, though. Let's get out of angry town. Let's talk about Raiders Broncos, which was a pretty interesting game. Not going to lie. It looked like Teddy Bridgewater is still not fully healthy. He had a foot injury, which made him questionable for this game still. He threw three interceptions. You know, you just can't do that. I wonder how much of that you could put on his foot injury if maybe he couldn't get his feet set right, if some of his timing was messed up off of his step drops, all that kind of deal. I don't know for sure. It's hard to really say. I know for sure that Teddy Bridgewater threw three interceptions. I know you can't, can't win too many games like that. Yards ended up being pretty much even. Fourth quarter went great for the Broncos. Every other quarter went great for the Raiders. So, like I said before, the Raiders are certainly more talented. They should have won this game. I just didn't expect them to with all the off-field drama. So, good to see that interim head coach here is actually keeping that team together. Got some good leadership qualities to him, I guess. And, hey, if they can get into the playoffs, make a little bit of a run, there is no reason you would ever move off for that guy. So, Let's see what happens here for the Raiders going forward. They're four and two. That's pretty incredible. It's not where I pegged them to be before the season it, started. It's tough to, especially after what happened last week between the Bears game and losing John Gruden. It's really tough to analyze how good of a win this is for the Raiders because the Broncos, everybody thought was fool's gold to begin with, with how they started the season and who they started the season against. I think you're right as far as Teddy Bridgewater's injury was affecting him, because you could definitely tell how they started to get that sense of urgency late and were able to play a little bit better. But we've said it before about the Raiders. There is too much talent on that roster for them to not be a playoff contender every single year. So I did much worse in my NFL picks than I did in my college picks. Went one and two. Um, I even said... In our previews episode, I was just throwing some darts at the board. I'm amazed I got one right. So, it is what it is. How did you guys do? I did the same, just with a different game that we flopped there. I, I went with uh, Miami. We've talked about that one. I went with the Broncos. I thought the Raiders were going to be a little bit slower coming out with the head coaching change and all the stuff they've been dealing with. So, Raiders impressed me. And then I went with the Bengals, which is my lone win of the week. Yeah, the Broncos is the only one I missed. And even picking, even when I made the pick, I kind of sat there and I was like, I don't know that that's really the smartest move because I I knew that the Raiders were the better team. But I, I'm with you, Tug. I definitely thought the distraction of losing Gruden and how all that was going to play out would have had a bigger effect on them. 
not to mention the fact they had to go to mile high to play this one. Thought maybe things were lining up for the Broncos. And even winning against bad NFL teams and starting the season off 3-0, 4-0, like they did against a bunch of bad NFL teams, there's still a lot of mediocre teams that would have gone 1-2 and two or 2-1. Two and one. So, I don't know. I I stand by my pick. I don't. I don't regret that one. I do want to justify my Lions pick a little bit. I know I've done a bad job of explaining that last episode and this episode so far. I really did think the Lions had a shot here, and I don't think I was crazy for thinking that either. Joe Burrow had a throat contusion. No idea how that was going to work out. It's in Detroit. Detroit has been playing everybody really close to this point. The fact the Bengals blew them out says more to me about how good the Bengals apparently are, which is unreal. Never would have saw that coming. Then about what the Lions are. The Lions are just, uh, they're an average team who can't get it done, right? They're missing enough pieces that they're going to lose a lot of games, but they have some good talent in a couple of right spots to make some games interesting. Every other game to this point has been really close. In Detroit, Joe Burrow possibly being out. I really did pick the Lions for a reason. It just didn't happen for me. So the fact that you got Jacksonville winning their first game in two years kills me. I do not understand it. <laughs> oh, man. That so, one was kind of a that was a that was a hope and a prayer. <laughs> well, we did have one bonus game to talk about here. Arizona at Cleveland did not live up to the hype. I gotta say, Baker with a dislocated shoulder. Oh, he still says he's gonna play Thursday. So I, guess I know, we'll, unreal. We'll probably I I will say it right now. I will lead off the podcast on Thursday with if Baker is playing or not. Because the fact that this dude wants to play after what happened, it was so bad. J.J. Watt, mid-play, took his helmet off and started calling the trainers over. Like, dude, there's a play going on. Right. And you're running around without your helmet on trying to get somebody to help Baker Mayfield, who's not even on your team. Like, it was it was bad. It did not look good when he went down, even from, you know, the, the standard broadcast angle. You could see he definitely went down awkwardly. And... and he did come back in the game. He finished the game. I, know. I, I have no reason it. to doubt. Yeah, I have no reason to <laughs> doubt that he will try and play uh, on Thursday after that. Was I, it I his throwing know. shoulder? No, it was his left shoulder. But I think so, I read so it is possible. He, I think I read somewhere that he dislocated both shoulders actually, which I don't know how true that is, and maybe <laughs> someone was just you know bullshitting. But man, what a what a fucking gladiator! I will say though, the way this game went. I said it on Thursday to Saturday, whenever you listen to it. This game very easily could have been the blowout that it was, and that's kind of why I didn't want to go with this one. I did not expect to have the best London football game in the history of London football games happen when I picked (laughs) Miami at Jacksonville. Right, no way. That's what happened, so I'm glad I went with the game that I went with. Even after congratulations to Arizona, the last remaining undefeated team. I've been for a couple weeks, actually, but we haven't said that on the pod yet. Six and oh, Arizona Cardinals. They are they're making my 10 and 7 NFC West uh, quadfecta. They're looking less and less likely every week. So hate that. Also, um, 
I do hope the Cardinals go undefeated because suck it, Dolphins. I think you mean suck it, Patriots, because you can go undefeated. Last undefeated regular season team was the Patriots. Dolphins the only one to win the Super Bowl with it. No, the Dolphins have a party every year that someone finally loses. I hate that. I wish that would stop happening. So let's just go, go undefeated. It, there's a simple solution to this. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm rooting for the Cardinals. So suck it. Suck it, Dolphins. <laughs> but uh, to get off this Dolphins train real quick, uh, I'm going <laughs> to take the final Dolphins bit of news here and go with my player to watch. I had Liam Meikenberg, uh, the off- rookie offensive tackle for Miami. And honestly, this might have been the best game that offensive line unit has played to this point. The offensive line looked fine in run blocking. They looked good in pass blocking. Bringing it back to Liam Meikenberg, though, man, he pretty much kept Josh Allen quiet the entire game, and that is not an easy assignment um, to work with. I can't really ask for much more out of this offensive line unit and out of Liam Meikenberg, considering they allowed two at a throw for over a career high of 330 yards. Uh, man, this game upset me, but that offensive line play and Liam Meikenberg were a – Welcome surprise coming through this game. This is not to take away from Eichenberg. I like Eichenberg as well, and your analysis is correct. At the same time, seems like Josh Allen's getting shut down by a lot of people these days. I wonder if he was actually worth that number seven overall pick. What's impressive to me there is we didn't even double team him. I don't know what the other game plans have looked like. I haven't dove into the all 22 on most of these games yet uh, for Jacksonville. So I, I don't know if he's been double teamed or not, but that's a lot of the case when you see talents like that get shut down, especially when he's really the only threat of note on that defensive front. I mean, maybe you're right at the same time. It's Josh Allen climbing that high in the draft process at the time surprised me. So well, I guess stop. Stop flexing your player analysis ability or I'm going to say what you don't want me to say again. <laughs> what? If there's any NFL teams looking, uh, Doug will 100% come scout for you. Just just give him a call. Oh, yeah, but you got to pay me more than you would pay an intern, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> Man's got bills to pay. Exactly. My player to watch, though, was Cool Herbert. I took one for, took a guy from my team as well, and uh, man, he had a fantastic game. 19 carries, 97 yards, one touchdown, and uh, two receptions on three targets for 15 yards receiving. Basically everything I said about how he hits the hole and how he does running with his explosiveness and able ability to make a move, make one cut, and be gone, that was all true and on display on Sunday. And, man, I, I've got to think, uh, Tariq Cohen might be out of a job. The only issue I have with that, though, is that the Bears did sign him to a contract last year. So, cap-wise, they might be fucked. And they are way too deep at the running back position at this point when everybody is healthy. Have flip they, side of, flip have side they of that is, though, Cohen hurt. Damian Williams, COVID list. David Montgomery hurt. With the way running backs work in the NFL, unless you're Derrick Henry, you're going to get hurt. And with COVID being still a thing, that throws an extra wrench in there. I don't entirely hate the amount of depth they had, but 
man, if you could flip Cohen or even Williams for an offensive lineman, that would be a, a t- S-tier level move by Ryan Pace. And last Here. thing, last thing before you get going, I want to say, too, Khalil Herbert should have been over 100 yards with a second touchdown. The play was just called back for holding on something that I apparently completely missed. I never saw where they called the hold from, but it is what it is. Bears scored on that drive anyway. Yeah, what I was going to say is there is a way for Chicago to get out of the Tariq Cohen contract if they have not uh, activated him from the PUP yet, uh, and that is release him with an injury settlement, which is a vet, uh, very real possibility at this point. I mean, yeah, that's possible. I will also say that I took Bugs' advice last week on Khalil Herbert, and in desperation in fantasy, I decided that you know Khalil Herbert is better than not having a running back. He did give me ten points, so nice. Appreciated it. <laughs> I still completely lost the week, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, how, uh, <laughs> words. All right, Doug, who is your player to watch? I had Trayvon Diggs cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys who you know has been off to a NFL record setting start to his career (laughs) interceptions like every game also had a pick six in this one which really kicked off the comeback for the Dallas Cowboys and it took an overtime to get it done but Dallas did end up winning against the Patriots this week and now I want to say that actually I wanted to take Dallas New England as the game to watch this week. Like, legit, I was thinking of taking that one. I just hate the Cowboys and the Patriots so much that I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I took Trayvon Diggs instead. I guess I took the right player. But, man, this game would have been awesome instead of talking about the Raiders Broncos. <laughs> well, that would have made funny for taking the Sunday Night Football game, too, though. So you got to contend with that as well. Fair enough. <laughs> but, yeah, Trayvon Diggs had just a great game he's off to like i said an nfl record setting start so yeah good player good job dallas drafted you a drafted you a baller i think what's most impressive about trayvon Diggs so far is he's on pace to tie the nfl record for interceptions in a season by week 12 or 13 depending on when their buy is that's absolutely insane yeah, that's pretty cool. I, you got to think at some point in the season, though, that people are going to stop throwing his way. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, Trayvon Diggs already having basically an all-pro season this rookie year. Right. I Yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for the NFL, unless you guys have something else to add. We just had one heck of a show right there. If you didn't catch all of it, I don't know what's wrong with you. Go back and listen again because, man, we had a great time with or without you. I hope with you. That makes sense? Probably not, but it is what it is. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll be coming back later in the week to do some previews for the upcoming week of football. In the meantime, though, this review show is... It's honestly one of the highlights of my week. Every week, I like this more than the preview show because we get to hash out and discuss our football opinions, and you get to see whether we know what we're talking about or not. I think that's really interesting. 
So for the most part, it looks like we kind of know what we're talking about. That's really cool. I appreciate that. So if you want to follow us for more football opinions where we kind of know what we're talking about, you can do that. The links are all below, but also, you know, twitter.com slash football, facebook.com slash football. We have our own website, bdtfootball.com. You email us, mailbox at bdtfootball.com. We have a Patreon, which I've already shouted out a couple times, patreon.com slash bdtfootball. Everywhere you can think of, BDT football probably exists, and we're called BDT football. So thank you for checking us out. And hand over to Tug. You got anything else you want to add there? I'm just going to go ahead and take the moment to add in our bracket time matchups for this week. Starting off, we have Marcus Mariota versus George Rogers. Followed by Sam Bradford taking on 1975 Archie Griffin. Kyler Murray versus Eric Crouch. Uh, Tim Tebow versus Billy Cannon. Baker Mayfield versus Doc Blanchard. Rasham Salam versus <laughs> Mike Rogier. Jameis Winston versus Doak Walker. And Vinny Testaverde versus Charlie uh, Charles White. It's going to be a hell of a bracket time, guys. We need your votes this week. It's going to help us out a lot. Yeah, you can find those on our Twitter at BDT Football and probably on our Facebook as well, right? Facebook.com slash BDT Football. So. Yeah, I've got to I got to make sure to get them up on Facebook this week. Uh, I didn't last week and I apologize for that. Really, if I if you see it on Facebook, all you're going to be able to do is comment and kind of give us your thoughts on it. I, we don't have a poll function on our Facebook page for whatever reason. Uh I don't know if if anybody has any tips on how to get that back up, please let me know. But those polls will be going out on Tuesday, on Monday, today, day of recording. Right before we started, I put out my Bears Week 6 reaction on BDTFootball.com, so go check that out. Wednesday, of course, this episode's dropping. Thursday, we'll be recording. And I'm trying to figure out some more content to put out on Thursday other than just tweeting and talking about Thursday Night Football. Uh, same thing for Friday. Trying to get uh, trying to get some content out for you guys every single day of the week here. Of course, on Saturday and Sunday, if you go to bdtfootball.com, you'll see me running the Twitter, live tweeting every game that I'm watching, that I can watch. Typically, of course, it's going to be the teams that I care about the most. So it is what it is. I try sure. to do my best. <laughs> I try... I try to spread it out, and it, it is a lot easier uh, when Memphis plays on a Thursday or a Friday. I can just kind of watch whatever games I want to on Saturday. Same thing with if the Bears play Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night. Talk a little bit about some other games. But, I mean, it is what it is. That's what happens when you let me run the Twitter, right? <laughs> I do got to say, though, before uh, we let Tug take us out here, very interesting to me, but before mercury, brandy was used in thermometers. So it used to be you broke a thermometer, you had a good time. Now you break a thermometer, eh, you could probably die. Thank you for your interesting Snapple fact of the show. But ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have today. We appreciate you listening. And just remember, you can't win a game. It's can't win a game.